It's Tuesday, June 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, the one and only Morgan Housel. Technically true, the one and only. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. You got a little bit of a tan. A little bit, not much. We're going to talk about that. No. Uh, a faded burn, more you're... likely. <laughs> you got to take care of your skin, man. I, I try. You got to get the uh, <laughs> just slather that stuff on there. We will talk about your trip because uh, there there is a business angle to the trip you just took, even though it was not a business trip. We will dip into the full mail bag. We will. Try and figure out to what extent the U.S. dollar is absolutely crushing companies, because it, it seems more and more like that is the case. But let's start with what appears to be the story of the day, and that is auto sales for the month of May were huge. Yeah. And maybe not that big a surprise when you consider the winter that we had, and and we've talked about this before, there are businesses that are negatively affected by bad weather. And then there are businesses that it's a really a short-term thing, you know. Yeah. Dunkin' Donuts, not to pick on them, but you lose a donut sale, no one's coming back the next day and buying more. Whereas automakers, I think we're seeing the ripple effect of that, the pent-up demand because right. auto sales were just unless you're Ford Motor, they were pretty strong across the board. They're great, and it's not just uh, uh, just auto sales compared to earlier this year. Uh, but you know what really happened during the recession from 2009 to say 2012, the average age of the car on the road surged to an all-time high. I think it was about 12 years old was the average age of a car on the road, which was way higher than it had ever been because uh, we we had we had this recession. People lost their jobs. People weren't feeling great about the future, so they just kept driving their beater longer and longer and longer. Uh, and, and, that, and that creates pent-up demand to buy new cars when the economy eventually does improve, as it has. So I think that's a lot of what we're seeing right now. It's probably less a reflection about how well the economy is doing, and more just a slingshot effect from the fact that people were delaying cars forever during the recession. Uh, a lot. Of, I think what you know what's really interesting during World War II. I think in the latter half of World War II, 1943 and 44. U.S. auto production ceased to virtually zero because all the factories were making tanks and airplanes. So, to building civilian cars was almost nothing. So, we had the same effect of that people uh, in the United States back then just kept driving their beaters. There were, there were really no new cars to buy. And then after the war in the late 40s and early 50s, auto production just exploded because there was this massive pent-up demand. So, it's sort of the same of what we're seeing right now. And just to pivot off what you, one of the things you touched on there, it seems like I don't want to jinx the auto industry, but it seems like the table is set for this to continue throughout the year. When you consider things like lower prices of gas, the pent up demand that you referred to, just to pick one automaker in particular, and and this is one we don't really talk about all that much because Ford, GM, certainly Tesla Motors, they they get a lot of attention. Fiat Chrysler. Had a huge May. It was the first time in over eight years they sold more than two hundred thousand vehicles, and a big part of that for them was Jeep. Yeah, and and we've. I think we're going to continue to see that not just with Fiat Chrysler and and sales of Jeep, but the the bigger vehicles as well. And what's important about that is that nobody learns a lesson when gas prices fall or rise. So when gas prices fall, 
people go out uh, and, and buy big SUVs and trucks because they don't really care about the, the miles per gallon. And I when gas does. prices surge and then everyone's buying hybrids and then gas prices fall again, no one really learns that gas prices are going to be cyclical over time. They're going to go up and down and maybe they should just buy a fuel efficient car so they don't have big regrets when gas prices rise again. But now that gas prices have fallen considerably in the last year, sales of trucks and SUVs have, has, have riven, risen pretty substantially. And that's great for the automakers because the profit margins on those bigger cars are way higher than they all are in the small vehicles. By the way, just to close out on the stocks, again, not a stock that gets a lot of attention. Fiat Chrysler shares up more than 80% over the last year. This thing is a monster, particularly relative to the others. It's, it's pretty amazing what they've done in the last uh, five years. Uh, you know, from being bankrupt in 2009 to, to really coming together to something incredible. Let's get to some earnings, uh, just as a way to talk about the U.S. dollar. Uh, PVH Corp. is the parent company of Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger. They put up, a, a, on balance, a really good quarter, which is nice to realize that Every once in a while, there's an apparel retailer that, yeah, right. that can put up a good say. quarter. Yeah. Um, but part of the story, with with the, even as well as the stock is doing today, I think up seven eight percent last time I looked. A big part of the story is, yeah, this is a good quarter. It would have been even better were it not for the strength of the U.S. dollar. And now I feel like when we were talking earlier this morning, I, I, are we now at the point where the U.S. dollar is legitimately becoming a problem? For some of these companies, and and to what extent is it? Look, let's not blame the dollar. Let's let's point fingers at the euro. Well, I think I I would say two things. One, I I have a hard time finding sympathy for companies whose earnings are being battered by the dollar, because the flip side of that is when the dollar was weakening for most of the early 2000s, that was a great boon to their profits. And of course, back then, management doesn't say, yes, we're doing fantastic and earnings are growing, but don't, but don't credit me. I had nothing to do with this. That's just the weakening dollar. Of course, they never say that when it benefits them. But when the weak dollar is hurting their earnings, it's don't blame me. Our management team is doing a wonderful job. Earnings are just poor because of this dang dollar out there. Doing it, it's so like, it's a, you only hear about it when it hurts them. But it's cyclical over time. Sometimes the dollar goes up, sometimes it goes down. But you only hear about it when they want you to hear about it. The other thing I point out is there are other uh, major global companies like Apple that does a tremendous amount of oversales sees in non-dollar currencies, and the the strengthening dollar is hurting them, quote unquote. But Apple's crushing it because it's a phenomenal company. So it's a it's a very convenient excuse for a lot of these companies to use. But I, I have I don't have much sympathy for it. Wouldn't that be great though? Imagine if there was a, an executive, a CEO, who came out, and it would just be so refreshing. Don't give me a bonus because this was all uh, weak dollar. Or or <laughs> you know to go back to the weather. Nobody and people have made this point before. No one ever credits the weather. Oh yeah, we had a great quarter, but holy cow! I mean, right. let's, let's let's give a round of applause to the great weather because we never would have put up these numbers if the weather wasn't great. But so many companies will say, "Yeah, we missed earnings, but it was just because of the weather." And bad weather. And you know? I don't, I, I don't. Uh, for me, that's where the conference call, the tone of the conference calls, becomes a little bit of an indicator about what who are these people who are running the company and and what is their temperament because i it's totally legitimate as far as i'm concerned for companies to point out things like um the calendar and and I, and there are ceos in the retail industry who will credit uh, um a good earnings report to 
you know, they'll be sure to include, well, we had an extra weekend in this quarter relative to a year ago. Well, we had this holiday, whereas a year, you know, there there are some that do that. Yeah. Um, and and I think that can be pretty illuminating when you when you see the ones who are who are willing to point that out, or to your point, the the extent to which they're just going to blame the bad weather no matter what. Self interest is really powerful and you can't really blame people for wanting to make themselves look good. But when you're the CEO and you're making millions of dollars and you want all the credit on the way up and none of the blame on the way down, that's that's not something I have much sympathy for. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Got an email from Steve Wilson, listener number 47. And have we, to we have 47 listeners? Uh, well, that's what Steve says. <laughs> uh, I've heard you discuss the company frequently on the show. So I thought you'd like to know about a free donut offer, and he included a link. And thank you. And so that it's Tuesday, so this is great. Advance notice uh, that Friday is National Donut Day. So uh, Steve included a link to uh, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, which, like I think all donut outfits, Krispy Kreme and others, is is going to have some sort of deal on Friday. So Friday, June fifth. National Donut Day. Is there a day of the year that is not a national blank day? Or is every day a holiday now? Um, I think every day is a holiday. Basically. Probably. But <laughs> I, I hasten to point out, and I just learned this a, a couple of years ago, um, This is, and this is in the story that Steve included, National Donut Day started in 1938 to commemorate Salvation Army workers who surprised soldiers with donut deliveries. Wow. So there is a history there. I mean, to your point, there are plenty of promotions that are just sort of an industry getting together and saying, hey, let's have our own day and we'll use it as an opportunity to give away free stuff and try and get more people in the door. But don't knock free donut day. Whatever you do. Some some listeners might not know, too, that Chris Hill brings in donuts. <laughs> On Fridays, is that it? I do what I can to support the donut industry. Right. And uh, uh, yes, usually Fridays, uh, as part of the production meeting for the radio show, yeah. there are usually donuts in the I'm office. not part of the meeting, but I take advantage <laughs> of the donuts. <laughs> uh, let's talk about your trip. You uh, and your lovely wife were just down Grand Cayman. That's right. You got back midnight last night. Whereas the, uh, the two big industries in Grand Cayman, uh, tourism... Offshore banking. Uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure offshore banking, not to uh, blame anyone, is really means uh, money laundering. I think. I think that's what it means. Did you see some money laundering? It's high-class money laundering. <laughs> just to put some numbers behind this, the, the population of Grand Cayman is just north of 50,000 people. Yeah. And there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 banks on, you know, you know what's on really, the island. What's really amazing, if you look at the list of foreign countries that own U.S. Treasury bonds. This is a report the U.S. Treasury puts out. Who owns our national debt? Uh, I'm I'm reciting this from memory. I'm pretty sure this is accurate, though. The numbers for the top foreign holders of U.S. debt is China, Japan, U.K., Grand Cayman. Again, (laughs) it's an island with about 50,000 people on it. Yeah. It's it's about the size of uh, three neighborhood blocks. (laughs) Any... uh, observations you made? I know you were there as a getaway, so uh, you're totally forgiven for just saying, no, this is a vacation. I'm just going to relax. But uh, as I mentioned to Bill Barker last week, I I can't believe that you just shut off the business part of your brain when you go on vacation. No, that's true. I was there for a week and I probably burned about 70 calories. (laughs) we, we We didn't do that much. It's pretty striking, though, 
um, the disparity between most of the country, the, the locals, are pretty poor. But then you drive past these uh, office complexes that house hedge funds and insurance companies right now. And it's like you're in Beverly Hills all of a sudden. Wow. There's a huge stark contrast when you're down there. But you didn't, you didn't observe anything untoward, even though, as you and I both and others probably suspect, uh, there's some shady stuff going on in the Grand Cayman. Huh? Uh, yeah, I've, I've read the book The Firm, which, <laughs> which took place there. Um, I, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot goes. You know, if 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 you have an offshore bank account, I'm sure a lot of people do it legitimately and follow all the rules. But probably a good sign that you got you you got other shady things going on in your life. Probably a good rule of thumb. the The correlation between having a bank account in Grand Cayman and doing something else unsavory is probably pretty high. It's kind of a tell, isn't it? It's, like in, like it's a little bit of a tip off. If you're if you're playing <laughs> poker and someone's got a tell, that's yeah. <laughs> I think you know. You mentioned the firm uh, as we head into uh, the summer beach season. That's a great beach read. That is just oh, a, it's fantastic. And I'm yeah. I'm not. Uh, I don't read all that many books. And when I read books, they are nonfiction. That's yeah. a that is. Uh, it's a very good book. That's a very good book. What is? The, I'm blanking on the author's John name. John Grisham. John Grisham. Yeah. A great lesson in perseverance, John Grisham, because for anyone who thinks that, oh, he's that guy who writes just hit after hit bestseller, uh, that was the second book he wrote. The f- right. The first, the first book was A, a, a Time, a to, time kill, to Kill, which, is, which was his best. He, which, he's downhill from there. Which he took to somewhere north of 20 publishers and got rejected by all of them. Yes. And then finally someone said, oh, okay, we'll publish your book. And then- It was by far his best, too. If I recall, too, I think he based that, not entirely, but it was, uh, it was based on a true story that he witnessed as an attorney. Right. He used to be an attorney. Amazing story. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Particularly since it was a late night for you, including right. travel and all that sort of yeah. stuff. I'll let you go take a nap now. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 